You're listening to America's Entrepreneur, the podcast designed to educate, entertain, and inspire you in your personal and professional journey. I'm your host, Aaron Spatz, and on the podcast, I interview entrepreneurs, industry experts, and other high achievers as they detail their personal and professional journeys in business. My goal is to glean their experiences into actionable insights that you can apply to your own journey. If you're new to the show, we've spoken with successful entrepreneurs, Grammy award-winning artists, best-selling authors, chief executives, and other fascinating minds with unique experiences. We've covered topics such as how to achieve breakthrough in business, growing startups, effective leadership techniques, and much more. If you strive for continual self-improvement and enjoy fascinating and insightful conversation, hit the subscribe button. You'll love it here at America's Entrepreneur. Hey, thanks so much for joining America's Entrepreneur this week. Really excited that you've tuned in. And I'm, I'm really excited to bring somebody in who has started a business from literally nothing and grew it to over a thousand employees, had a, had a successful sale, and, a, and is off doing other great things within within the world of business. And so it's a uh, it's great pleasure to bring uh, Ryan Wainer to the show. He who's uh, the founder of Wainer Multifamily. And that was a just a tremendous experience that we're going to get to hear a lot more about here shortly. And then he's uh, most recently the founder of Leak Aware. And so we'll get to know uh, a little bit more about that, that business. So with all that, Ryan, just wanted to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for spending some time with me. Hey, thank you for inviting me. I was excited to be invited, so I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's let's kind of dive into your background a little bit. So, I mean, you've you've been in the property management, multifamily type of space. So, like, kind of kind of rewind the clock here for us and help us understand how how that came to be. Sure. So, um, you know, I grew up in Southern California and went to UC Santa Barbara and graduated in two thousand and started working in finance immediately, and I was doing spreadsheets uh, 18 hours a day and did that for a few years and then worked in land development, more on the financial analyst side. And, you know, I uh, come from a family of, my my father's an entrepreneur, my grandfather were entrepreneurs, not in the same type of business that I chose, but, uh, or that chose me. But, um, you know, I kind of grew up in that, that, that world. And, you know, after about five years working in the, uh, it, for other companies out of college, I, it wasn't really a choice. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go take a chance. People are like, oh, you took a chance. And I was like, I can't do this. So I really have no safety net. I have to go make something work on my own. It's just the, the way I'm wired, I suppose. So about 2005, I had bought some duplexes and stuff like that in Southern California from 2001 on. In, in fact, I lived in a, in a, trailer in an industrial park just to save money. And uh, it's funny stories of, hey, I can't pay rent. I can't afford this anymore. I'd show them a photo of the trailer I was living in and go, I can't afford it either. Now give me my rent, you know. So I'm living in a trailer and they'd give me a shocked look. So I did that through about 2005. And then, you know, my cleaning lady had told me, I remember Rosa, very nice lady. She was cleaning one of the duplexes and she proceeded to tell me that she was getting a $460,000 stated income loan. And I was like, congratulations, congratulations. And as I left that apartment unit, I was like, I better sell everything. You know, I'm paying $75 a unit to clean my apartments. Uh, Something bad's going to happen the way they were giving money out. So I called my friend that was a broker and he, uh, I said, 
put everything I own on, on the market. Let's list it now. I want to get it sold. I kind of lucked out in terms of timing. And um, then I quit my job about a month later and was looking across the United States where I wanted to redeploy and invest my uh, through a 1031 tax deferred exchange into uh, large apartment buildings. And I had it down. I wanted a Fortune 500 friendly city. I wanted, um, you know, uh, a low cost of real estate. And, you know, I wanted it to have a large airport. It felt like that would be less risky. And uh, so that kind of brought me to DFW. So I quit my job, moved out to DFW, pounded the pavement, looked for apartment deals. The idea was I'm going to buy an apartment, 1031, you know, these four deals into that one. Uh, and then I'm going to, you know, help with the reposition. And then I'm going to go down to Costa Rica and surf and start a propane distribution company, you know, best laid plans. It didn't work out that way with, uh, I did find a great deal. And then also uh, met my wife out here and ended up firing the management company with, uh, 90 days after uh, taking the property over. Um, I was younger then, so it wasn't diplomatic the way I fired the management company. And I just started managing it myself. And uh, when I met my wife, I decided to, you know, plant my seeds for at least a certain amount of time. And I represented buyers um, from Southern California, South Florida on multifamily C-class buildings uh, and was able to, you know, sell two or three deals a quarter. And, you know, what kept on happening, what kept on happening was, hey, you know, we've heard horror stories from several different directions about property management. We like the way you operate. We'll do this deal. But uh, really, we're going to have to we really are going to need you to manage it. So I got pulled into my property management business, basically kicking and screaming. It, it wasn't something that I had planned at all. And um, it's basically running a small business and running several small businesses. So then I, um, you know, I kept on doing deals and start and was created a little bit of an infrastructure it was basically the front of my living room of my apartment that was my office. And uh, 2008, nine happened with the Lehman Brothers and the market crash, liquidity dried up. It was very difficult for somebody new, you know, only a couple of years in the business to get deals done. And so I just doubled my efforts on the property management side and was taking foreclosures, in, you know, working for banks, did a lot of business for City National Bank. They had bought a bank, uh, a local bank here or local lender, uh, you know, and you know, during that big crisis through a loss share agreement with the FDIC. So did like almost anything I would manage, you know, almost anything to kind of get my name out there and to brand my business. And um, that worked out uh, uh, exceptionally well. And, uh, you know, I, that was the sprout. I mean, literally, I tell people, literally, I started my business on a futon with a laptop. And it was, I was uh, employee number one. So I did that. We would double every two years. The company would double and double and double. And, um, you know, we same way I got into the construction side and the renovations is filling another need where we had a client had 200 units and they were behind schedule. They're about to lose the asset. Uh, I went in there and I was dealing with their contractor and it was just one issue after another. They'd install appliances one night, uh, one day that night they'd get stolen. 
wow. you know, constantly asking for more money. And I just said, you know, I, I come from a family that's been in construction and I have a lot of personnel and people. Why don't you just, uh, I'll, we'll just do it. I'll organize the whole project and we'll do it uh, on a cost plus basis. So kind of got pulled into the construction management business that way, trying to solve a problem for a client. That sprouted off another business. By the by, the time I sold it in 2019, I think we were doing almost $20 million in construction management uh, services. And kind of pushed into another uh, part of that wing of that business. Wainer Multifamily had a the full supply chain to China. Um, that was about 2012. I remember I think I had about five 5,000 units, more or less. And uh, Home Depot had... Uh, you know, wanted to put together a preferred, uh, you know, agreement, you know, with a management company. And I remember they flew two salespeople out and I was sitting down in our conference room and I'm just, you know, making small talk. Oh, where are you guys staying? They're staying at the Westin. And so they went through their whole spiel. And right after that, I went to my COO and I said, look, they just flew two guys that are each making 150 a piece. Uh, they're staying at the Westin. My goodness, there must be a lot of margin in this business. I need to find a large trade, the world's largest trade show, and I'm going to go and see what they're doing. I know it's in China. So that year, I went to China to the Canton Fair. I mean, it's literally a fair with between four and five hundred thousand participants. Went, walked the whole fair, found made uh, uh, connections there, and didn't start quickly on the supply side, but kind of over a couple of years, it evolved into a business there and found the right, the right people to work for me in China. I don't go through agents. And so by the end, by when, by the time I sold the business, we were importing 12 to 15 containers a month and all exclusive to our clients, higher, you know, higher quality products for the same price or lower. Um, So I just cut all the middlemen out and it was all the high churn items on turns and it was able to give my client a better product for a lower price. So it was and that, pretty good. And, and those products that you're importing, so that were, was that related to the construction and property management or was that totally something different? Only for the construction and multifamily. I did not okay. sell them out, outside of my customers. Okay. So in that way, I was able to build a better product for a lower price and charge a lower price because I have, you know, I have, I don't have people, I don't have, salespeople retailing the product. Yeah. You know, we have almost no spillage. We pay the bills. So we made sure that the bills were paid. So you're, you're talking about like um, raw, like, like the, like the raw materials, like for the, no, like I'm, more, I'm, trying, I'm trying to understand what, me, what the products were. Okay. We had about 24 SKUs, uh, light sconce, ceiling light, uh, okay. ceiling fan, uh, kitchen faucet, bathroom faucet. Um, just, and it made sure that I, paid a premium in China to get the very best products. And we designed products and they were the best for that are dur- in terms of durability and design. Okay. So we were able to uh, price, you know, any anywhere else our clients could get products lower because I cut all the middlemen out and, didn't, and I didn't have the overhead of selling the product and all that stuff. So all right. I had to do was deliver it and make sure. So it was something where the client benefited and uh, you know, I was able to roll out another business that benefited the client. It was very symbiotic with my management company and my construction yeah. company. Wow. So it's basically seeing a problem, being creative, taking, you know, this 
second, third, and tenth step to to implement that and make sure you do a very high quality uh, service or product. You know, it's a old saying is you know cut. I mean, measure twice and cut once. Yep. Sometimes you need to measure ten times and cut once. So it took years to actually uh, to roll it out because I wanted everything to be perfect. So I did that. It was all our business was almost all word of mouth. Um, you know. It, very, we didn't have any marketing budget. It was basically make sure our mousetrap is the bat, the best, kind of the field of dreams thing, which is like, if you build it, they will come. And yeah. we just made sure our mousetrap was the best. And I had proprietary technology and a whole al- aggregator through the due diligence pr- uh, process that I created myself, the sweet inspector. I had it built by um, a developer, but so I used things and that's kind of how the leak aware started it was an internal product just for our customers and our client gotcha. so i was able to fulfill a need i looked through the market to fill that need couldn't find it didn't give up decided i was going to go build it and that helped us with our efficiency it helped us scale and it in it at the end of the day it has to benefit the client it always all of these things that we did we made sure that it benefited the client yeah as long as you serve a need and you benefit the client you have to be really, really creative to not be successful. Yeah. It's, it basically success falls on your face when you, when you have that approach. I tell people that, you know, are thinking of rolling out their own business. You know, the why is a big deal. If it's about making a lot of money, guess what? You're not going to make a lot of money. It's got to be about wanting to solve a problem. And um, if, if you want to solve a problem and you want more freedom, then you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> you'll end up becoming an entrepreneur. If you want to solve a problem, you're not really concerned about the uh, complete freedom, then you'll be a great employee and probably an executive eventually. Um, if you just want to make money, I, I don't really know how to make a formula where somebody's main desire is to make money for them to be successful. Um, they, you really have to have hyper-focus on solving uh, people's problems and then making sure you get paid for it. And I give you a dozen examples of where I went through a nightmare in terms of a, something unexpected, went through all of the energy to fix it. And then, you know, while you're living it, you're going, why me? Why me? You know, not quite that much, but little did I know, you know, a year later, I'd get three or four clients solving that problem for them. It costing them one dime on the dollar for me to solve it. And, you know, it helped me grow my business through these experiences. Yeah. And um, that's a huge attitude part about being a very successful entrepreneur is, you know, learn from your mistakes. And then a lot of times you can monetize your mistakes, especially if you're in a service industry where it's a common uh, mistake that, you know, other people in the market are going to have. And if you can fill the need to help them avoid those mistakes, you get paid for it. It's yeah. basic uh, economics 101, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, quite the quite the tour there. So, I mean, you started off in property management that rolled into construction management that rolled then into supply chain management. And I mean, so just all of these different steps. And so really kind of a, like an obvious question, but like what what really set you apart? as a property management company, like what, what were you doing differently that you felt like everybody else wasn't doing? So a lot of those things I just explained, we were an all in one shop for those 
three facets. Um, we also had, we were known as, you know, the premier property management company in the C uh, class space. And so in multifamily and apartment buildings, there's A class buildings. You'll go to a downtown Dallas or any, you name the city. There's the things that were built five years ago, beautiful mid-rise, high-rise, beautiful yeah. brand new apartments. That wasn't us. So that's A class. Then you get into stuff that's 90s, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, 10, 20, 30 years old, newer, newer areas that's considered B. We had a little bit of that, maybe 10% of our portfolio was that. And then you have workforce housing, which is in, you know, it's with the name. It's in their older buildings, lower rent, usually have a larger maintenance uh, yeah. uh, requirements. And that's what our lane was. Okay. And we were we were the best in that lane. I couldn't pound my chest and say that neat high rise. We manage it, but uh, we found what our niche was. It was those workforce housing, primary. Uh, and then we were uh, our company was very large, given the fact that we were uh, geographically focused. So almost. You know, probably 65%, 70% of our portfolio was in DFW. Another 15% was in uh, Oklahoma City and the surrounding uh, MSA. Well, and then we had – I so we weren't everywhere. Yeah. So I had a model where my employees, the supervisors, it was important for me to set it up that way so that I could always – we could always show eyes on the property at least once a week. Unannounced visits are the key to keeping uh, on-site personnel accountable. I, got I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, 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 no! You're good. I'm, I, I'm just trying to drill down a little bit more into that. So, you know, managing C-class multifamily properties, and I'm, I'm, like once again, I mean that. From what I would gather, that is a, the margins are relatively tight in those types of businesses in those lanes, and so. Like again, like what what were you doing differently? Like what were you doing differently in in the day to day ops of managing the properties that made you the go to versus any one of another you know number of places? Well, it's culture. I we have a culture of our mission statement was always treat the client's uh, asset and finances like they're your own. Yeah, and I can't preach that and act a different way. It's and it's the little things. It's the vendors wanting to give me Cowboys tickets. No. And the vendors coming in, bringing pizza to the office. And we had a policy of, hey, you, we just signed up with you. You got to take the pizzas out of here. And if you bring them again, we're not going to do business with you. Just have to just provide the best value and, and product for our clients. Don't try to make us like you because you bring pizza on Fridays. Yeah. And that's that's it. So there's just little cultural things like that. And like I said before, in a C class especially has a lot of moving pieces at all times, right? You have issues with city, with lenders, with uh, chiller systems, with roofs. They they break down more, so they need more. Uh, they need constant supervision and eyes on them. And the the difference between other management companies that are doing A and B, they can have their regional fly here once a month, check up on things remotely. In C class, to really provide the best. Uh, uh, supervision to your clients, you really need to be able to have your supervisors visit them regularly. And I mean, at least once a week, if not more. So that is why I strategically, I would turn down business outside of DFW 
or Oklahoma City or San Antonio a lot. And a lot of people were like, hey, I have this building. You do such a great job. And I said, look, the, our secret sauce is that we can visit the properties a lot and I can still make a profit. If I'm out in San Angelo, I have to, that regional has to drive out there, yeah. drive back. He burns half a day and I'm making $400 a month off of your contract. I can't, that just doesn't work. Yeah. So what happens is what I explained to him, I said, look, we're all pretty close in terms of what our pricing is. Most of the percentages as a fee base are pretty much similar throughout the industry. Your management company is getting a certain amount of money. They're not going to lose money. So if you get the wrong fit, they're just in there can't make money to they can't make enough money to send somebody there constantly. You know, you're going to take the brunt of it. Yep. So, I mean, it was big making it logistically and uh, geographically in the same areas, having that culture, uh, my COO, my director of ops, my construction ma- uh, lead, uh, the person they all started as my construction guy was my third hire as a maintenance man. Nice. And I grew him through the process. That's cool. Uh, the COO was got a job for fourteen dollars an hour as a manager. By the end, he was you know making seven figures. The director of ops was hired for fifteen dollars an hour as a manager and grew to low seven figures. So I used people that I knew had the I didn't use. I saw people that had those problem solving skills that fit our culture. And then I spent my time building those people and uh, enriching them and in in return, enriching myself. I mean, that's how uh, capitalism works. So just putting the right people in the right place, having that culture of, because look, especially in that business, you can't watch the maintenance man, screw every screw. You can't audit all of it. There really needs to be a culture of, I want to do this right. Everybody else here does it. It puts their uh, their reputation online. They're they're fully committed. They're part of something bigger where we're serving somebody else's need, which is our client. Yeah, that was hugely hugely important. And in fact, I didn't get to the end of the story on the the opening, which is I ended up selling it to a private equity group. It was American Dream, you know, and we spent six months marketing it and going through the process and. And, uh, you know, really vetted out a lot of the offers that we had. And we sold it uh, in late August of 2019. So right before COVID hit. So uh, I think God was looking over me, but it sold right before, you know, the world shut down. Yeah. Um, During that process, and the private equity is a great group. They've had several successes. They were not successful with this particular business. In fact, it closed down uh, about a month and a half ago. And um, that's that thing that I was talking about is staying in your own lane. It's easy to say after the fact, too. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. But, yeah. you know, we they came in with the idea to professionalize it, which which I was all on board. I thought, you know, I want some adults in the room. We've been making it up as we've been going for the last 12 years. These guys have a blueprint for success in the future. But. I think where it it lost track a little bit was they were trying to become an A-class management business and it it basically cost them that whole culture of, 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 you know, the seek that's that type of employee that operates. I mean, that works in that space that does all that. That's what they bought. 
And, you know, on a piece of paper, it's like, oh, we can do this. It's less maintenance issues that we have. And, and the, the spreadsheet looks great. And the PowerPoint looks great. But that's what we were known for is doing those difficult properties and providing a great service and had extreme profitability. And then I found a few verticals, the other two sides of the business that functioned well within that to make it a little bit higher margin. Yeah. Right? No, that's cool. And you can only bring those verticals in if they're profitable to you and really provide a huge benefit to the client. People that try to do verticals that, uh, to their business that aren't a huge benefit to the client, they're just profit centers. It's going to ruin the reputation of your core business. It's not going to work well. It has to have that symbiotic approach. Yeah. I, every time somebody would come into my office when we were, uh, when I would, do the business development. I said, look, it's got to check two boxes. Number one, we have to be able to provide a great service. And number two, I have to make a profit. Both have to be checked on every single contract. That's why I can't do your property that's four four hours outside of, of our of the metro. Yeah. Uh, so no, that makes that, that makes sense. That's that that's really cool. So like I'm just hearing you talk through how you know how you differentiate it. Because again, I mean, there's just there's so many people in the space. And so it's it's neat to kind of see and hear you talk through like how how you're able to do that differently. And then of course, then you know, then the other stuff, construction management, supply chain management, and that that would allow you then obviously to increase your profitability and it could also kind of help make up for if you were getting some of your margins beaten down on the property management side, you had a little bit more flexibility on the, uh, I mean, cause obviously with the supply chain, you went through all the headache of getting all those direct relationships lined up yeah. and set up. And so that, that I imagine was a pretty highly profitable thing, but when you sold the business, you, you only sold the property management side. You didn't, you didn't sell no, the construction. Sold all three. Or, oh, you sold no, all three. All three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And so, so yeah. And it's, that makes it's a sense. big part. Yeah. And it wasn't by design. Like I'm trying to get, cause it's already, a, it's when you're at volume and property management, it's a profitable business. It's very profitable. Yeah. It was more, I see a need here. I looked at it more, um, uh, you know, less, I didn't look as macro as more micro of like, I know that I can get a better faucet made. And I can, I, I can make a profit on it. And it'll be better for my client. It, I didn't really look, oh, my margins will be this. I mean, all that stuff I learned when I was selling the business. They're like, oh, you guys were brilliant to do this, that, and the other thing. It like, wasn't by design. Yeah. It was really just being in there and trying to solve problems all the time. That's cool. Know? Yeah. And um, I mean, that's a big part of it is the money will come if you solve the problem. All the problems. Yeah. No, you've, I mean, you've, you've hit that really, really hard. And really sorry, well. I did. I know. I no, 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 no. Because I think it's worth repeating. I think it's worth repeating that. Like, cause I love what you said early on in the conversation, which was like, don't, you know, don't be so obsessed over, you know, chase, chasing the money. You said it way better than what I'm trying to say right now, but, but like focus on delivering a great product, a great service. Like, you know, give the customer a, like solve their problems, like do what you need to do to solve their problems. And then you'll be you rewarded. To try really hard. Not, my father used to tell me when I was little, he'd say, Ryan, if you make a bunch of people a lot of money, you'd have to try really hard not to make a lot of money yourself. 
He's like, it'll, the money will find you. You just solve a lot of people's problems, make them money. Really cool. I mean, obviously, that I'm in a service business, and he was a contractor for developers. So yeah, it's different than if you're selling a whatever to, but that you're maybe not making the money. You're giving them a product, but sure. Anyhow, and that's basically what I was hyper focused on, and it was in my actions and my words daily. It's just the way I am. And that spreads to that influences your culture without you even knowing it. You know, you can't fake that. 100%. You can't tell people to act one way and you act another or you're going, well, how do we profit off of this? Or there were so many construction projects singularly that we didn't make money or we talked clients out of spending for things we didn't think they'd get a return on. And but then you get that kind of stamp of integrity in the market where it's it's like, no, I know that what I'm getting from Ryan is just, he's going to treat my money like it's his. And I used to tell him, I'm going to treat your money like it's mine uh, and your asset like it's mine. By the way, I make mistakes with my own money all the time, but at least that will limit it. Yeah, for real. Yeah, no, that's I mean, all. intent is a big, big deal. The why of doing stuff is a very, very big deal. It the is. The what and the how is what everybody focuses on, but a lot of it is the why. Well, and kind of like what you said too, it's, that's harder to fake. Sure. I mean, some people can probably fake it really, really well. And that's probably those are the people that end up on TV later, uh, you know, on some crime show, but like the, uh, but American greed. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But people can generally tell if, if what you're, if, if what you are sharing with them is really you and, and they can, they can smell out those ulterior motives. And so it's, I, I and I think that's, I mean, I don't think I know, like, that's a huge part of your success is like, what you said is what you got, like, you knew authentic. who you're you dealing with. Yeah. And so, and, and uh, more, more to the employees than even the clients. See, yeah. Can somebody cool. fake it with a client to have a certain amount of interaction? No, it's the employees where you have the culture of fixing stuff. They can see that even somebody who's not sophisticated or yeah. maybe doesn't have a super high IQ. Through evolution, humans can spot that when they're dealing, you know, they spot little things. Even if somebody who's not very smart will spot things. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. And so no doubt, and you, you're, you're setting a good example. You made some really smart hires, brought those folks in, trained and guided them. So they're able to train and guide, you know, all of your teams, all your crews and people that were out there. So, that, you know, shortcuts aren't being made. Mistakes are being corrected. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the right thing every time. Nope, we're going to go back and do that again. You know, like, so just kind of reinforcing, um, reinforcing those values and then making sure everybody lined up with those. And then, and then it's just the management of those people and ensuring that they're within alignment of what you're doing. And then if they're not, well, you're going to go get somebody else to, to fill that spot. So, um, but no, that's it. Even goes a little deeper. I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. I keep cutting please, you off. I please, have a please, really please. bad habit with doing that. So I'm really sorry, Aaron. No, you're um, good. Uh, it's it goes to like even when you're building a team, you know, and it's the constant process if you're a growing business is you're constantly building your team, and those people that you know have the integrity that there's some that are you know call it one out of five that are naturally like that. Then you have like three people that are very you know that three out of five are very influenced by who they're around. So you make those three people a lot better when they're around that culture and they come to your side of the fence. 
And then you have that one out of five that no matter if he was around, he or she is around great people, they're still going to be who they are. And it, it naturally weeds those people out. Yeah. And it, and the biggest part is those three in the middle. It makes them, they, they, they're, when they get inspired by, you know, this bigger why it, it's infectious, you know, and it really improves your business. And it's not something you can put on a PowerPoint or go to a weekend seminar and figure out it really needs to come from your core. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I mean, I think that's the big takeaway as we kind of wrap things up here. It's like focusing on solving those problems, doing the right thing. You were laser focused on culture and you know, building the right team. And it's, I mean, a lot of this stuff sounds so simple. Some of it is simple, but it's harder to execute. And it's harder to, I think, sustain um, because you've got it. You just got to continue to keep a pulse on things. But I love how you focused in on you you know, ge- geographic specialization and you, and you didn't allow yourself to get pulled away and going and chasing all these other ideas or these things. And those are, those would be very easy things to get pulled into, like very easy things to get pulled into. And so, but why did you not do it? You did, you didn't do it because you had an understanding of in order to deliver, you know, like a superb customer experience, I need to be able to get hands on eyes on, property pretty, pretty quickly and pretty easily. And I need to be able to do it kind of, you know, at scale. So if I can have the same guy going and checking in on five different properties a week, could be a girl or, or lady <laughs> or girl coming in to check, checking in on the properties <laughs> and they're, you know, they're no more than 45 minutes away from the furthest property like that. That's a big win. So you're creating, you know, you're creating yeah. that scale, but within, within some geographic, uh, um, restrictions there, which I think is, which I think is brilliant. So, um, but I really, really appreciate it, Ryan. Like, thank you for sharing a bit of your journey. I know like we could probably go for two or three hours just unpacking. I'd love to be invited back at some point. Yeah, for sure. I would love, I would love to maybe next time, maybe we do a little bit deeper dive on the construction management or on the, on, on the supply chain stuff. Cause I think that's, that would be, that would be its own fun topic of just understanding the, uh, Mm -hmm. the supply chain challenges. But for this segment, I really do really appreciate you sharing kind of like what made it happen, you know, how, like how you function and how you operated and, and all the things you've done. So I really, really appreciate it. How, how can people follow you, Ryan? How, how can people get in touch with you? Um, you know, you can go ahead and um, you, uh, I don't have anything to, to follow, but they can email me or um, they can email at info at leakaware.com. Or they can uh, uh, reach out to uh, the person I have working there is Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N at leakaware.com. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm launching a new property management company here in DFW. Awesome. Um, I'll have all that stuff uh, on our next call. Hopefully we can talk next month and I can kind of give you all of that information. But um, I'd love to speak with whomever and then go through there. And Jordan, uh, I speak with him daily. He's actually in the next room. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Well, well, Ryan, I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your, your story today. I appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to America's Entrepreneur. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review or comment on your preferred social media platform. Share it out with friends, family, coworkers, others in your network. And of course, you can write me directly at Aaron 
at boldmedia.us. That's aaron at boldmedia.us. Till next time.